You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations We worship and serve a God who, when we confess our sins, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So in that hope, let us confess our sins together. Gracious Creator, have mercy on us, for we are overscheduled and overburdened. Vision leaks away from our hearts, and we are in danger of losing our way. We make no space for you on our calendar, then wonder why we feel so alone. Though you have offered us power through your Holy Spirit, we try and do everything on our own. And now we are empty. Forgive us, loving God. Fill our hearts with fresh hope and set us back on the path of true discipleship. Hear the good news 
The message of the cross is that there is forgiveness for all who truly seek it. Let us rejoice in Jesus Christ, who took our place in death, that we might know eternal life. Good morning, we welcome you to worship this day. And as you can see, today we will celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion, where all are welcomed to Jesus' table. After worship today, you'll find in the narthex products of fair trade, products that are produced by small farmers, some in near lands, some in faraway lands. And by choosing to purchase these products, we help these farmers to earn a fair wage. The spring adult mission trip will take place this year in April, from Friday, April 17th through Friday, April 24th. We'll return to East Iowa, to Iowa City, where there is still recovery taking place from the floods of last June. This kind of mission trip gives us great flexibility because we'll be able to drive and you have the choice to choose to join us for two days, three days, four days, or the whole week, whatever works for you. John Caton will be leading the mission trip this year. Please let us know of your interest and your intent to join us and how many days you'll be going with us. This afternoon, an amazing ecumenical event called Food, Faith, and Fasting kicks off at Hammerschmidt Chapel of Elmhurst College at 2.30 in the afternoon. This ecumenical effort brings together eight Christian churches in our community as well as the Jewish synagogue in working to fight hunger in our area and to raise funds for our local food pantries. At 2.30, Diane Doherty, a speaker from the Illinois Coalition for Hunger, will educate us on issues of hunger in the state and locally. And then you will have an opportunity to make a decision to engage in the fight for hunger through volunteering, through spiritual fasting, and through gifts to the food pantry. I hope you'll join us at 2.30 this afternoon. In this season of Lent that we are in, um, we're talking about the cross-centered life. And particularly, uh, over the next five weeks, we'll be looking at some of those really difficult moments in Christ's life and how he faced adversity with uh, the hope that as we look at how he handled adversity, um, we might learn something about how to do that ourselves. And as part of this five-week journey, though, we're also asking uh, some brave guinea pigs of our own congregation to come up and talk a little bit about some of the challenges that they'd face in their own lives. So I'm going to ask Carolyn Wolf if she would come up today, and we're going to—I'm just going to kind of interview her a little bit. Carolyn, I can tell by uh, what you're wearing there that you uh, did not just come from uh, your home in north part of Elmhurst. There, you're back from a journey. Yes, um, I spent two weeks in China 
where my sister Lydia is uh, stationed with her husband right now. My older sister Jenny and I went to see her there. And uh, just last weekend, we were up in Beijing, um, but spent the rest of the time in uh, Shanghai, where she lives. It's really my first journey out of the country. It's my first trip away from my whole family. Um, first time I've spent two weeks with my sister since we grew up and moved out of my parents' house. So it was uh, quite an amazing experience. If, if you don't know Carolyn, it is it's Dr. Carolyn Wolf, and she is a physician with uh, the Glen Ellen Clinic, where she DuPage Medical DuPage Group, Medical Group, <laughs> where uh, she manages a, a team of physicians there, um, and you can see her probably too often doing rounds at Central DuPage Hospital. Uh, she's married to art teacher at York High School, Tom Wolf, and has two uh, children, uh, Lydia and uh, Nathan. Who, and if you received bulletins when you came in, it was from the, the Wolf family. They, that's part of what they do from month to month as well. So as a physician, Carolyn, I know that for many years you've seen people suffering all kinds of uh, adversity and pain and, and suffering. But also, I know that you've had some in your life as well. I'm thinking particularly of, of a moment you shared with me from back in... Uh, medical school or your time of residency? Yeah, you know, resident, residency itself is a really tough time because um, they've changed the laws about residency actually since I went through training. Back when I did it, they felt that we had better bonds with our patients if we were there every single day. So for the first three months of residency, I never had a day off. And of course, the training was very intensive. Um, the schedule was tough. I rarely saw Tom. We had been married for one year. Um, and the constant exposure to people's illnesses and people's suffering was very hard for me. Um, and during my first year of residency, at the end of my first year of residency, I um, had an appendectomy, an emergency appendectomy. One night when I was on call, I developed abdominal pain. And the day after my surgery, the surgeon came in and told me they had found cancer in my appendix. And it looked like a type of cancer that had probably spread from elsewhere, maybe a breast cancer or ovarian cancer. Um, I had been seeing too many young people with illness to not think that it was real. And so I, I never went through a period of denial. I immediately felt that this was possibly the end of my life. Um, he told me, gather your family around you, pull your support system together. The oncologist came and talked to me about further testing after I'd healed from the surgery. And um, it was a life-changing experience. Um, I remember driving home from the hospital, not knowing where things were going to go, and feeling like a veil had been pulled away from my eyes. Like, I thought, why did I ever worry about this or that? It doesn't, it's not even important. All of a sudden, it was like the things that really were important stood out to me, and I, I, I felt like I had a vision of ways that I could be different in my life and not focusing on the dumb little things that didn't seem to matter when somebody could just walk into my room at any time and tell me my life was about to be over. Now, the good news in this story, and Tom calls it a miracle, uh, is that a few days later, you discovered that this was not going to be a life-threatening cancer, that either you had been healed in the midst of prayer during that time, or the doctors had made a misdiagnosis, or nobody's quite sure what really happened there. As Christians, we, uh, we don't really believe in coincidence, so we have yeah. a different feeling about that. But how did that change your life from that time on? 
You know, as hard as those days were after the diagnosis, what happened actually was that I think because I was a resident working at that hospital, when they had the preliminary pathology, they came to me right away. Because everybody was looking at my slides. You know, like the whole hospital knew my path report. And then all these people were stopping by going, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, they hadn't done the special stains. And after they did the special stains, they called me three days later and said, oh, gosh, it's a carcinoid, which is a not uncommon incidental tumor of the appendix. And it's probably localized to the appendix, and taking the appendix out is curative. Um, but so that lasted three days. The time after that was harder. I had to go back to residency. I had to go back to my schedule. But having seen a vision of how I wanted my life to be different, and it was hard to figure out how I could make that happen. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to give more to the church. I knew for sure I wanted to have a family. I wasn't so sure about that before that. <laughs> um, and I started. I remember making a list, consciously making a written list of what was really important to me in life. Because um, I thought, okay, I've had this vision, I've got to go somewhere with it. She sounds like a scientist. Nice list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm a list waper from way back. And, and beginning to make conscious decisions about everything I did based on what really was important to me. Instead of just, you know, well, this seems like a good thing to do right now. So... You began to do that, and what, we talked about the practical, you began to have, eventually you had children. You began to refocus your life, and um, we fast forward several years, and um, turns out to not be really the end of adversity in your life. You've just come through some surgery on your elbow. Um, in that process, you had to give up uh, one of your favorite things to do, gardening in your life. So these things keep coming up. Um, yeah, it, you know, I can, I think looking back as long as it's been now, I can, you know, truly say that that changed everything because every time something new comes up, I'm still reevaluating in terms of what's really important. Um, yeah, I had a terrible problem with my right elbow. You guys prayed for me a few years ago. It got to the point where I couldn't do anything, really. Couldn't lift a cup of coffee to my mouth. I started feeding myself with my left hand. After the surgery, John Udelhoffen was cutting up my meat for me, you know. Uh, and uh, I, um, I forget the question. <laughs> <laughs> New adversity. John's cutting up your meat for you. Right. Is there, are you going to be a baby forever? Are you going to retreat to that level? Are you going right. to, what's, yeah. Some, I'm guessing, in my mind, I would be going, oh my goodness, what's next? Yeah, I think in that circumstance, um, it was the fear of where I was going to be. Um, I work with people who are disabled by chronic pain or other physical conditions, and I was afraid that was going to be me. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I, I enjoy what I do as a physician. I'm a provider for my family. And the thought of losing that was terrifying. And I really was afraid I was going down that path because nothing seemed to make me better and nobody had any good answers for me. Um, the biggest battle in that instance was my fear, was my fear, was letting go of being so afraid about the future and I'm telling myself each day, today's a good day, it doesn't hurt that much. Today I was able to, you know, um, sew a little bit. Um, today I was able to, you know, make a dinner without having, you know, Tom have to cut up every single vegetable that I cooked in the, in the pan. Um, 
and trying to trust God's providence for my future and thinking, okay, well, what, so what if, what if I couldn't do what I'm doing? Surely there's a way that God could continue to use me, and, and that's what really is most important to me. Talk a little bit more about that. We're standing in front of this communion table and, and, and uh, um, the presence of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, how, where has God been with, with you in that journey from back there um, in med school to, to today? Um, you know, God has always been so central and important that at times I feel like I couldn't live without knowing God. It, it, uh, Mike was asking me, or maybe this isn't what you want me to talk about, about the quiet time with God. Um, I have struggled to do, being the list maker, semi-obsessive compulsive physician that I am, I should be praying this amount every day, I should be reading this amount of scripture every day, and if I don't do that, I have failed. Um, and I have, to, I have failed on that over and over again. But I have found God every day in, in quiet moments, and um, particularly in music. I was thinking about one of the ways I coped when I was in residency, and I couldn't go to church. I worked every Sunday. I wasn't in a Bible study group. I had no kind of support like that. But Tom and I discovered contemporary Christian music, and I found that in listening to that, a lot of it's scriptural based. Certainly the messages are the kind of messages I needed to help get me through each day. And I have a brain, as does Nathan, that plays the same song over and over and over again. So if that song is something positive, if that song is something that's, you know, supporting me, wow, that song is getting me through my day, that weird brain quirk. Um, you have another kind of prayer life that's unique, I think, to you, and it revolves uh, around a sewing machine. Yes. Yeah, you wouldn't think of that uh, as holy ground, but I have to say, that's holy ground for me. Um, giving up gardening was tough because, uh, you know, you're out in the soil, you're, you're growing things, you're in God's creation. I would get up and do it at 5.30 in the morning when everybody else was in bed and it was quiet. Um, and that was, that was a really spiritually renewing time for me. So part of the struggle with my elbow was having to let go of that. Um, but I, that kind of combined with the time when I had taken up quilting. Um, and I've wondered at times, why am I so passionate about quilting? I love quilting. I have quilts in all my exam rooms in my office. Um, and the patients respond so much. They love it. They, oh, did you make that? And everybody says, how did you find the time? You know, and I'm thinking, gosh, I have no trouble finding the time for that because it refreshes me, it refills me. I find the time for that easy. I, uh, it's set up in my dining room. Actually, we call it a sewing room that occasionally doubles as a dining room. And um, when I can sit down and just be quiet and, and create something beautiful, which ultimately can be a gift that it's such a pleasure to give, um, that's holy ground for me. And I guess like you said yesterday, or you know, prayer isn't just about sitting down and reading the scripture, and I try, and I'm still striving for that kind of a spiritual life, but I do have a spiritual life in, in the quilting and the creating that I do. Well, Carolina, I certainly appreciate the fact that you do. I'm wearing one of those prayers, and we get to enjoy some of these prayers every Sunday when we look at the quilts.
And I thank you for uh, being willing to come and share a bit about where God has been with you in the midst of the adversity of your life. Thank you very much. You bet. At this time, I'd like to invite the children to come forward for a short moment of teaching together. Well, today is a very special children's moment for all of us because I've had the privilege, as some of you know, of teaching the fourth and fifth graders on Wednesday nights in our Logos Town program. We've been journeying through the Ten Commandments, and it's been a long journey, but this was our last Wednesday three, four days ago to study them together, and so I thought it might be a fitting way to end our time together by having some of my students, two of whom are here in this service, to help me teach them to the rest of us, and we'll have a bigger crowd, I'm sure, in the second service. So the way I thought we'd do this is have Jack and Maria stand up. And we summarized each commandment, you know, because some of them are a bit long, as, as you guys remember. They say things like, you shall have no other gods before me, that can get kind of long, so we shorten that to worship God alone. And we have little summaries for each commandment. So, Jack, why don't you take this one? Yeah, you take this one. We'll just go through each of them together. So, why don't you say the commandment and then maybe say a word or two about what you remember from that one or how you understand it. Um, worship God alone probably reminds me of you probably don't want to worship anything else, just God. It's easy for us to worship other things like, you know, a hamburger, hamburger food, <laughs> family, sports, anything. And the second commandment, what, what is that one, Maria? No idols allowed. Like, if you watch TV too much, you might think of it as an idol. It's very easy for us to find other things besides God to, to worship. And then the third commandment was? respect and 
You just don't say, uh, just say his name when you're when you're shocked or something. You don't go, oh my God, or something. Sure, sure. We talked about how we use God's name respectfully in worship. You don't say God's name in vain. That's right. That's right. And Maria, the fourth one was? Set aside a special day for God. Like, you should go to church and worship God. And I remember we also talked about some people who couldn't make it to worship on Sunday because they were working or, or sick and how even in our entire lives we can set aside. Remember that fancy word Sabbath we talked about? And that's kind of what it's, what it's referring to there. But we can have Sabbath and in every day. Yeah, and the fifth one. Honor your parents, and I think you should honor them, but you should, I remember, we're not supposed to worship your parents, you're supposed to honor them. That's right, that was important. We talked about the different verbs and how sometimes the relationship between parents and kids can be, can be really difficult. That's right, Anne. You shall not kill. You shouldn't even be angry at a person. And you, because that's, like, you shouldn't even want to kill somebody. Yeah, we talked about that teaching of Jesus that made this commandment a lot more difficult, right? When he said, you can't even be angry with someone. And the seventh one? Be true to your husband or wife. And uh, I think you probably should do that because um, you made a vow when you were getting married, so you probably should keep it. Right. You shall not lie. Like you shouldn't say you shouldn't lie like when you're supposed to be doing something and say, Oh, I'm doing it and you're still watching TV. <coughs> Is you shall not steal and you can't uh it, it, it's like it's a lot more complicated than you think. Because if you have a lot of, and a lot of toys and you don't and you play with only half of them, but you keep the other half anyways, you're stealing from people who might want those and play with them all the time. That's a great insight. We talked about how maybe that commandment could call us to be givers as well. How we can maybe hoard and, and stealing. And lastly, you shall not want what others have. You shouldn't even like say someone has a cool new video game. You shouldn't want that at all? Sure, there was that big word, covet. Remember, you shall not covet, but that was an easier way for us to, for us to understand it. Yeah, great, good arrangement. Why don't you leave that one up there? Perfect. Yeah, and we also talked about throughout the year how these commandments are a real gift to us because they, they help us to lead lives that honor God, holy lives. But we also realize that we break them sometimes, don't we? Right, that's right. And so we thought we'd arrange the commandments in the shape of a cross to show that God's love is for us. All the way in the Old Testament when God gave us these Ten Commandments and in Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. So I've sure enjoyed learning and, and, and teaching you guys this year. And thanks for leading the children's moment this morning. Could we pray together? God, we give you thanks for your Ten Commandments. We give you thanks for the insights of children, how they can see things that older adults cannot see. Open us to how you would teach us through them. 
be with each of them today. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. God, let us hear your word and learn and take joy with us. Let us understand its meaning and remember it in our hearts and souls forever. Amen. Mark 1, 21 through 28, page 35 in the Pew Bibles. 
Jesus and the disciples went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, then, there was a synagogue, in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout. What a day uh, Jesus has. And it's the Sabbath, too. First, he's preaching in the synagogue, right there in Capernaum, and then he has to perform an exorcism on top of that. So what happens next? You've got it right there in your Bible. After church, he goes home, right? Watches golf, falls asleep in front of the TV. <laughs> oh, no, that's me. I'm sorry. Here's what actually happened. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And then, of course, after the meal, finally, it's been a long day, Jesus turns in early to get some much-deserved rest. No! That's not what he did at all, right? It continues that evening at sundown, which is now the end of the Sabbath. They brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So finally, it's late at night. He's preached. There's been an exorcism. He's healed uh, Peter's mother. He's healed who knows how many folks far into the night. And uh, finally, he's allowed to go to sleep. And the next morning, of course, he sleeps in. No! It says, in the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and he went out to a deserted place and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. And he answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. We like to complain about our long days, don't we? But Jesus certainly had his fair share. There's a place in Mark's gospel, in fact, um, where the person who tells the story to, uh, to Mark, it's, it's so vivid in his memory, he says, uh, they were bringing so many sick people to Jesus, and he was healing them that, that we didn't even have time to eat dinner. It was such a vivid memory in the mind of this disciple, he could remember his stomach growling. 
Jesus had a lot of days like that. And what did he do then to, to, to cope with those days? He made them even longer. He made them even longer. Frequently we read that he went off by himself or with his disciples to pray. Sometimes he got up early, sometimes he stayed up late. And it's true that, you know, he was divine, but he was also human. And as a human, he needed his sleep. He needed downtime. But also because he was human, he needed time to renew his spirit, as we all do. Time to let his spirit commune with with God's spirit. Jesus demonstrates in his own life that prayer is essential to the life of faith. And if the Son of God incarnate on earth needed to spend regular time in prayer, how do we with certainly much fewer resources think that we can make it without some regular prayer time ourselves? Are we better than Jesus? Martin Luther, a slightly busy man himself, frequently would begin uh, his day with three hours of prayer. Mother Teresa, no slouch in the busy department herself, started with two hours of prayer every morning. Why? If you, if you go look up why they said they did that, you'll discover it's because they felt ridiculously inadequate to the jobs in which God had called them. They ran to prayer because that's where they were renewed where they found strength, where their souls were quieted and their minds found focus. Sure, we can survive for days or months or even years without praying at all. But will those days have any, any depth to them? Will the years have really mattered? Sure, we might have grabbed some academic degrees along the way, graduated magna cum laude maybe even, been efficient in our jobs, made some money, filled our home up with some nice things, taken some nice vacations, raised some kids. But without connecting to God, will any of it really make a difference in the kingdom? And the kids we raised? What will he have raised them to do? To grab some academic degrees, make some money, to be good little consumers like we have been so that they can fill up their homes with nice things, take nice vacations, and raise some more kids to continue the merry-go-round ad nauseum. But I'm, I'm too busy to pray, you say. I hear you. There are some legitimate seasons of our lives where we are extraordinarily busy. I once knew a young mother who would occasionally lock herself in the bathroom just to get away from her kids. Just for a moment, just to exhale, to hear herself think. I assume her husband was at home at the time, but, you know, I never really, I don't think she ever really actually clarified that for me. We all have seasons when the responsibilities of life press heavily upon us. But when that season of busyness turns into always, always, we have a problem. There's nothing wrong with working long hours. Jesus did it himself. 
But when work gets everything and God gets nothing, we have a problem. Let's be honest here. Nobody held a gun to your head and told you to live like this. It's true that all of us are bombarded, they say, by some 3,000 messages a day telling us that, that we're not even hardly human if we don't buy this and that and if we don't earn enough money to live in a certain way and buy this stuff. But the truth is, you know, we're really not victims here. We're overly busy because of the choices that we've made. So forgive me for being frank, but some of you probably should not be in the jobs you're in right now. Several of you should not be living in the homes you're living in right now. Some of you have chosen lifestyles that are incompatible with a life of faith, maybe even with a life of sanity. Because if you're so busy that you don't have time to pray, you've stumbled off the path of discipleship and you've lost your way in the cross-centered life. So some of you may need to do some drastic measures to preserve your soul. Downsize. Leave Elmhurst. Whatever it takes. But for most of us, we need to do something even more drastic. We need to do some serious evaluation of our busyness. We're definitely busy. Americans are working harder and longer than Europeans, longer than the Japanese. Some researchers actually believe that, that we are more busy now than any time since feudal societies. But are we happy? Remember, that's what that Declaration of Independence says, that we should pursue happiness. How's that going? Do you know that for the last 50 years, since the, the early 50s, Americans have steadily reported a decline in happiness? So for all of our busyness, our bigger houses, and all the new stuff we've purchased, we're not content. We have better life, we have more money, we, we have stronger, wealthier lifestyles than generations ago, but we're not content. Something's missing. We're not connected to the source of joy. For this problem, there is no amount of downsizing that will work. No town, really, that you can move to that will slow you down enough. There's no geographic cure, as the folks in AA like to say, because the problem is inside us, and we carry it with us wherever we go. If we're not connecting with God, again, that's a matter of choices that we've made. For all of our busyness, let's face it, if you watch TV, you have time to pray. And somehow we're watching four hours of TV every day. If you work out, you have time to pray. If you shop, you have time to pray. If you listen to your iPod, you have time to pray. 
if you play video games, if you blog or Facebook or text or Twitter or surf the net, you've got time to pray. Or if you're like me and you discover a new author that's as addictive as cocaine and you find yourself at 2 in the morning wide awake reading, you've got time to pray. All you need to do is to make some new choices, a new beginning. You can do it. By the way, we have a God of new beginnings. Fifteen years ago, there was a handful of people here at Yorkfield that decided that they needed a new beginning in their lives. Particularly, they needed to do something um, to slow themselves down, something in the middle of the week to refocus their spiritual selves. So on Wednesdays here at Yorkfield, they started what we now call the 5.30 a.m. meditation time. Over the years, the faces have changed. We burned through a few different boom boxes, making the transition along the way from cassette tapes to CDs. We moved from the sanctuary where we started out, and some people would be lying in these pews on Wednesday morning. Uh, now we're in the library, and it's, we use less energy. It's greener. It's more intimate. But for all those changes, this thing keeps going. Last year, we had someone make a commitment to come for Lent. I think she decided that she would give up sleep for Lent. The odd thing is that a year later, she's still coming. Why is that? It's not that we do anything awesome during that time. The format's very simple. A couple of candles are lit in the darkness. An opening and closing prayer are offered. Four scriptures, the lectionary readings for the week, are read during our 45 minutes together. And the rest of the time, we just sit there in the darkness and listen to the music in the background and People pray and reflect and meditate. New people very quickly learn that to avoid the really comfortable leather chair lest they quickly be drawn back to sleep and be found snoring. I figure that I've attended about 700 of these Wednesdays now. And I've experienced a lot of different kinds of days of lots of different calibers. Sometimes I sit there in the darkness sipping my coffee and my mind, you know, frankly, just drifts away. I move on to the scriptures of the day, to that looming to-do list. What would be great for breakfast? Other times I'm begging God to help me come up with something to share with you all on Sunday morning. Other times I sit there in the darkness and I think about these other handful of folks in the darkness around me and all those others that are arising before dawn around the globe who are praying for this crazy world that we live in. And then I think about Jesus himself who after a long day got up before dawn to pray. You notice in the scripture, it never tells us what the content of that prayer is. We almost never get to see that. All we see is that it was interrupted by his disciples coming in search of him. And whatever that content was, it propelled him out again 
to healing and to teaching and casting out demons. They come to him saying, everyone's searching for you. And he answers, let, let us go. Let's go on to the neighboring towns so that I must proclaim the message there also. In the midst of Christ's busyness, he, he searches for this solitude with God. And then out of that solitude, he's energized and goes back into service. After serving, then, he comes back and seeks more solitude. It's this pattern of his life we see again and again in Scripture. It's the pattern of his ministry, this rhythm of, of outreach and, and upreach. If it was important for him, how can it not be important for us? I'm not saying that you need to get up before dawn to pray. Maybe evening or lunch times or your times. I'm not saying you need to put in two or three hours a day or even 45 minutes. Just 10 minutes is a great beginning. Everybody has 10 minutes a day that they could give to God. I'm not saying you should start quilting or listening to contemporary Christian music or any of that stuff. Master the Greek Bible. God made us all unique. But he made us all to pray. He made us all to have communion with him. To enjoy that time with him. Maybe the place to start this Lent is to ask him, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to start? I'm thinking maybe we should do that now. Would you join me in prayer? Loving God, we're up a little bit earlier than we normally are this morning. And we come to you because in our hearts we long to have a deep, an abiding relationship with you. Honestly, we don't know where to begin. So we ask you to, to impress upon our hearts, to, to whisper in our ears how to begin. To set aside some time for you. To connect in the quiet that place we fear sometimes so much. Help us to become comfortable in your presence, to share with you our hearts, and to listen that you might energize us to be about your work in this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
I'm happy to share with you some morning, some joys and concerns of our congregation. We're grateful to God for the good healing that has come to Jackie Lawrence's sister and brother-in-law, Jill and Casey Brown, who have now returned home after a hospital stay and are recovering in good shape from their auto accident two weeks ago. Gary Schaefer had a successful procedure on his soldier last Tuesday and has returned to rehab and is doing well. We thank you for your prayers for all of these. Other prayer concerns that we ask you to hold in your hearts this week. The Interary family asks that we please pray for Kara Interary and her sixth grade special education guidance students who live in poverty in Brooklyn, New York. Tamma McWinney asks that we pray for her friend Mary Jo McCarthy and her husband Chip as they mourn the death of their 29-year-old daughter Jessie who died in a tragic car accident. We also pray for the Crisione family. Paul Suit's aunt, Arvilla Crisione, died this week after a short battle with colon cancer. And Lynn Borland asked for prayers for her uncle Vern in Minneapolis, who was severely burned in an explosion which demolished a shed in which he was working and created damage in his home. His burn is so severe he's expected to be hospitalized for some three months. And Joyce Carlin asked for prayers for her daughter-in-law's mother, Jean, who will be undergoing surgery on Tuesday for thyroid cancer. Let us turn our hearts in prayer to God. Will you pray with me? God and very God, you who created this world, you who lovingly watch over this world, you who walk the streets of this world, no being and no power knows the adversity of this world as you do. Knowing all, seeing all, and still and forever loving all. When we are frightened by the unknown, sovereign God, assure us that it is not for us to know all things in all times. Place in us a holy confidence that we may rest easy in the promise that you are guiding our way. When we are plagued with anger and resentment, calm our internal warring madness. We ask for your peace to enter into us and live in us. When we are overcome with grief and sorrow, send the Holy Comforter to gently hold us. And when we feel abandoned, alone and forgotten, make your presence known to us. For in all things, you alone are present. God of deep longing, we are a needy people. We are a broken people, so in need of healing and wholeness. We desire to walk more closely with you, yet we hesitate to take even one step. Propel us to movement. Be the bridge that heals the gaps in our relationships. Lift whatever burden prevents us from leaping forward into your plan. 
Lord, hear our prayers of longing to more fully be your people. Loving God, let your healing mercies be with these that we have lifted up in prayer this day. We thank you for the healing that has come to Jill and KC and to Gary. We pray for Kara and thank you for the special guidance and education that she gives to those students. We pray for families everywhere living in poverty. We ask that you would be especially with Lynn's Uncle Vern as he recovers from his burns and watch over Jean as she enters surgery on Tuesday. We pray especially for those mourning the loss of loved ones and those remembering with great love their husbands and parents. Be especially with Linda this day. Be with Paul and his family. And be with Mary Jo and Chip. We pray for all living with depression and mental illness. God, who calls forth leaders for particular times and places, we pray your wisdom and guidance be with President Obama, the cabinet, and all of our elected leaders. Inspire them to use their collective knowledge and experience to provide a government that is right for these times. We pray the responsibility of leadership and a commitment to ethical decisions be with those of every nation in this, your world. For people living in the slums of India, we pray. For people wandering in exile with no homeland, we pray. For people thirsting for clean water, we pray. For the hungry residing in communities that throw away excess food every day, we pray. For children eager to learn, we pray. For all suffering from disease and illness, we pray for your mercy. In these adversities, we trust your love, your voice of reason, and your hands of compassion to be present. Gracious God, for each day of work you have given us, we give you thanks. For good health, sometimes taken for granted, we thank you. For neighbors who care and dear ones who bake cookies, we thank you. For companions in this life, we thank you. For loved ones who forgive us and offer second chances, we thank you. For refreshing rains and the promise of an earth that will bloom again, we thank you. For sisters and brothers in Christ faithfully serving you, we thank you. In these blessings, open us to more fully live in gratitude for all you have given us. How privileged we are to bring everything to you in prayer. And with confidence, we now pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. There are spoken prayers, there are sung prayers, there are sung prayers, and now we are about to enter into an eaten prayer, where we celebrate together this meal that Jesus gave to us to remember him with, his gift to us on the cross, the empty tomb, and the reminder that he is with us even now as we eat the bread and drink the cup of salvation. I remind you that this is not the table of Yorkfield Presbyterian Church. You don't have to be a member to celebrate this meal. You are welcome at this table. It's Christ's table. Also today, as we do often for Holy Communion, if there is a particular prayer that you have, a prayer for healing, perhaps for yourself or others, um, there will be some folks waiting for you in the library, which is just beyond the coffee bar. A couple of folks in there, and um, they'll be glad to pray with you. Um, so as you come forward, you may receive the bread and the cup, and then instead of returning to your seat, just go right into the library for that special time of prayer. On the night when he was gathered there with his friends around the table, our Lord Jesus took the bread and giving thanks to God for it, he broke it. And in the tearing of the bread, he said to them, this is my body, broken for you. Take it now. Eat it, all of you. In the same way, he took the cup and as he poured it for his disciples that night, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the remission of sins. Drank it, all of you in remembrance of me. The cup of the new covenant.
Now, as you go from this place, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. May he lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.